0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. A new series today that we're called Growing in Grace. This is a series that we've done before. So if you feel like, wait, didn't we just do that? We did this a couple years ago and then maybe a year or two before that as well. It's been a fun springtime uh, series that we've come back to a couple of times. The focus is what... Some people for a long time have called the spiritual disciplines. And right at the start, I want to throw out three different passages that we're going to read because they set up kind of what seems like a conflict when we start talking about spiritual disciplines. The first one is Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5.1 says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm them and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I'm gonna switch real fast. First Timothy four, seven and eight says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then first Corinthians nine, twenty four and twenty five. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So these these three verses feel contradictory to one another, right? First, um, Paul writes in Galatians. Same guy wrote all three of these um, verses. He writes in Galatians, you're you're free. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. So don't go back under a yoke of slavery. Like don't start like trying to earn it again. That's what Galatians is all about. Living the freedom that Jesus came to give you. But then he writes in 1 Timothy and in Corinthians about training in godliness and going into strict training and like running to win, running in a way of, like where you're putting your best forward. And these two seem like competing ideas, right? It feels contradictory. On the one hand, we have freedom without burden, and on the other, we have strict training and running, and it feels like effort. They're written by the same guy. So how's he managed to do that? And here's why I bring this up. Some of you already feel like you don't measure up. And as we enter a series on spiritual disciplines... You're likely to start thinking, oh great, another reinforcement about how pathetic I am. And I don't want that. I don't want you to feel that. And some of you have fought that message. And you have found freedom in Jesus. And I say the word spiritual disciplines and strict training and run to win and effort. And you hear an old song starting to sing, calling you back into captivity. And again, I want None of that. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't go back into heavy loads trying to earn God's acceptance. I love the spiritual disciplines, though. I think there's a beauty and a gift that God has for us in them. And I think they can lead us toward greater freedom if we approach them the right way. Because discipline doesn't really mean punishment. Often we think about that. Often we do discipline wrong so it feels like punishment. But discipline and its true definition is not punishment. You think about the discipline that soccer players go into or any, anybody on a sports team or people in theater and the rehearsal that they go to night after night after night and uh, uh, instrumentalists playing in um, a symphony the time and the effort they put in, the discipline that they put in. You think about uh, even studying for tests. What happens when you work really hard and then you show up for the game or the concert or the performance or the test? You have a kind of freedom that has been brought by discipline right? so that you can actually play instead of feeling like you have no business being on the field. And you can actually perform and know your role and know your part and do it with confidence. You can play the the instrument with beauty instead of like when you start playing violin in fourth grade and you go to your child's concert and you're just really proud of them for the effort, but not really the sound, right? (laughs) And you recognize in a few years, this is going to sound altogether different. I love where you're at, and you're going to grow through effort. Grow in grace. This is a series of spiritual disciplines that are given to us, intended to help us put ourselves in position where we could be transformed by God and experience greater freedom, if we approach them the right way. Not as a list of Uh, heaping up things that I have to do to earn God's favor. But it's the things of like, how can I stretch my spiritual muscles? How can I flex them and grow? It doesn't mean punishment. So today we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines of rest and work. And then next week we're going to talk about gratitude that leads to generosity. We're going to talk about solitude and fellowship. We're going to talk about submission and obedience and we're going to talk about self-examination and confession. And here's, here's a plea that I have for you and then a promise that I'll return. The plea is lower your defenses so that you can hear these as gifts. Because quite honestly, I'll throw out, like we're going to talk about submission and obedience and some of you just threw up in your mouth, <laughs> right? And I, and I want you to be able to hear the gift that all of these things are. That's my plea to you come with uh, a desire that says, these are good in the way God intends them. They may have been wrecked by people for years and years and years, but God intends these things to be good. So that's my plea. Come ready to hear. And the promise is we are not going to beat you up or push you down or should on you. We're not going to force something out of you that you don't want or tell you to get in your place or like anything like that. We are, a promise that we won't beat you up with these spiritual disciplines. We want to give them as gifts for your good. And you get to take them if you want them and start to use them if you so desire. That's the plea and that's the promise. So I want to jump in right away this morning, to rest and work. Two disciplines that seem to compete with each other. Some of these are going to seem like they compete, and some of them are going to like launch, like one builds off the other. Today is one that seems to compete. Work and rest. Work and rest. Jesus shows up in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now this is what Jesus says to a bunch of people who are worn out by trying to strive to be good enough to keep up with all of the rules that their religious leaders said were required to please God. This is how he addresses them. You ever felt worn out? ever felt worn out by work? Tons of people go through the progression of work that leads to stress, that leads uh, to a build-up and build-up and build-up until they end up burning out or blowing up. And neither one of those are pretty. Work, stress, being overwhelmed, uh, burn-up, blow-up, right? Have you ever experienced that? And sometimes, but not all the time, sometimes, I think it comes from a place of thinking, if I can achieve, then I can be. I work myself into a state of being. If I can achieve, then I can arrive. And hard hard work is praised, and it should be. Overwork is rewarded. I'm not sure it should be. I'm so busy, is the refrain of our culture. Have you ever caught yourself saying that? Somebody asks you how you're doing, and your answer is, I'm busy. And like, everybody's busy, right? There's not a single person, maybe there is, that's hyperbole. (laughs) Like, I got nothing. You're busy. Man, I, sorry, I got nothing going on. A few people have that. The chorus of our day, though, is, I'm busy. We treat work like it's the key to happiness. And so parents have their kids in all kinds of things so that they can build a resume, so that they can get a scholarship into college, so that they can uh, get a good job, so that they can earn a lot of money, so that they can get to the end of their life and look back and like, I'm not sure it was worth all that. And I totally get some families work real hard because getting a scholarship is the only way they're going to get to college. And I love that. I love like being disciplined and working towards something and then finding the reward of receiving a scholarship where you wouldn't have had a way without that. I love that. But when parents start getting their kids into things at like four on tournament league, traveling every weekend, and it like, goes until we're dead, We have a problem, right? Life should not simply be lived to build a resume. Sometimes a whole family is dedicated uh, or dictated by a relentless pursuit of work that one day will achieve greatness and happiness. And we end up thinking if we don't work hard enough or if if we work hard enough, we'll build our identity. Others will notice me. Maybe God will notice me. Like, work is going to fill a critical void in our life. But work is never, ever intended to fill the void of personal identity. Work has a purpose. God created us for work, right? He gives us work. He wants us to work. He wants us to put our hand to something. But work is not intended to take the place of filling our identity. It just doesn't do it. So the bad news today, the bad news is if you're trying to fill the void in your life with work, you never will. And you will strive and strive and strive and strive. And you will always be reaching for the next fill. And it will never come through. That's bad news. That Jesus told us to take his yoke upon us. He's not saying, I'm just lifting all the work. He's saying, I'm putting my work on you. And then he describes it. It's like he's got work for us to do, but it's light. It's not meant to, like, bury us. It's not meant to press us down. It's meant actually to fill us up. We've misunderstood work. And I think then it leads us to a place of misunderstanding rest. We misunderstand work, and then we misunderstand rest. Our culture says work, 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 and then rest. We work for the weekend. We work to earn rest. And then we feel like we don't deserve rest. You ever have an experience where you're sitting down and resting, and someone is about to come in the room, and you get up real quick to make it look like you're doing something? Anybody ever have that? I've done that. Leslie talks about doing that, sometimes on summer break growing up as a kid, right? Like, oh, I finally got a a chance to catch up. Nope, I got to look like I'm doing something, right? We feel like we don't deserve rest. Now, if you're at work, that's actually a lack of integrity. (laughs) If you're sitting at your job doing nothing and then somebody comes in and you make it look like you're doing something, That's an integrity issue that you need to uh, check up on. It's like George Constanza in Seinfeld, sleeping under his desk, right? Doing whatever, working really hard at not working. Sometimes it happens when you could legitimately be resting and you don't feel the freedom to have somebody know that you're resting because we don't feel like we deserve rest. Honestly, I think a lot of times we don't even know how to rest. We end up looking at our magic triangle, or our magic rectangles and the light that's coming from them. We're so exhausted that we just sit down and we start to scroll and scroll and scroll, and we binge, and we're addicted to notifications. I got an email this week saying that the average kid spends 33 hours a week on a screen. It's almost five hours a day. And I think that's undercutting it. I think a lot of adults spend way more than that on a screen. And that's not just, if you're working at a computer, that doesn't really count. I suspect that that number really is low. And instead of resting, we veg, right? I'm just going to veg here. You know, that's actually a medical term, a short for a medical term, which is a vegetative state, which the medical term is defined as the absence of responsiveness and awareness due to overwhelming dysfunction of the brain. It's not a funny deal. But when we veg, we take on what looks like a vegetative state and we become unresponsive and it looks like we're brain dead. You think you're resting at that point? I, I don't think that's what's actually happening. Anybody get, ever get so tired that you just collapse? Like you're too tired to do anything, so you just scroll. You just binge. I mean, the worst, and I'm guilty of this, is going to bed, which is meant to be a place of rest, right? And then staring at our phones instead of sleeping. And this leads to the question... What is our rest really producing? Do you feel better? How do you feel after resting? If you have kids, does screen time make them happier kids? They get crazy, right? They become little monsters. (laughs) We're so tired, and so we collapse. And then we don't actually rest. We get cranky, and we get angry, and we get antisocial. Lacking rest, we become less productive, so we don't feel like we deserve rest. Anybody feeling stressed right now? This is the worst sermon ever. (laughs) So I want to pause here, because this is not what God intends. Work, 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 collapse, veg. What he intended has so much more life in it. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to page 1 going all the way back to the beginning with Genesis and the creation account. And actually, we're going to read a long section, this whole section of Genesis 1 and the creation account. And as we do it, what I want you to do is I want you to pay attention to the rhythms that God establishes in creation because he establishes rhythms that I think are good for us to pay attention to and they have built into them rest and work. And I want to see if you can pick them out as we go through it. Okay? So Genesis 1 starts out with, in the beginning, all the way on page 1 of your Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light, Day and the darkness, night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse of the mist of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which The waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day, chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creations. All right, rhythms. Is God working? Yep. Does he seem stressed? Nope. Seems like he's trying to prove something. Nope. I wrote a really good paper in college called The Lonely King that was this uh, descriptive narrative of God who was just sitting in heaven lonely saying he needed some company. And so he created all this and like we filled the void. And my prof said, this is really creative writing and it's theologically garbage. (laughs) God is not creating out of a sense of void. He's creating out of a sense of love and generosity, and I want to share this, and I want to give this, and over and over and over, he looks and he says, it's what? It's good. God's delighting in what he's just done. He's looking at his work, and he's saying, oh, yeah, I love it. I love that. He creates, and then he steps back, and he says, it's good. Does all creation flow together in one continuous job? No, right? Right? Each day is marked in its own day. So God works and then He steps back and He works again and He steps back and He works again. And there's this rhythm of the evening and the morning flowing through Genesis 1. Even in the midst of creation, God's resting and working and resting and working. The order is significant, right? It says evening and then morning. Now the Jewish calendar said, "The day began at sunset." So the day starts when the sun sets and you go to sleep, and you wake up and the day is half gone. So it's rest starts your day. And then the, the rest of the day follows. There's this rhythm in how creation moves, too. Day one, he creates the light. Day two, he creates the sea and the sky. And day three, he creates the land and the plants. Day four, now he goes back and he starts to fill those things. The light takes shape with the sun, moon, and stars. And day five, the sea and the sky are filled with fish and with birds. And day six, the land is filled. Animals and then people. And here's a cool side note. God says, let's create them in our image, right? So we're created in the image of God. We've been called uh, image bearers of God. We think of an image and we think of like a selfie or a photo or a mirror, right? I want to see a reflection, but they didn't have photos or selfies and they didn't have mirrors when this was written. And so Mike Breen talks about this as a helpful way to understand being created in the image of God is more like an imprint. Like God puts his hand on us, like a memory foam mattress where you press down and then you come up and you see uh, the handprint left there. That's like God making us in his image. In his imprint, he presses down and he says, there, you're mine. You have me all over you. And part of the problem is we go through life trying to fill that handprint that can only be filled by God. We're made in his image and we live life according to how he made us. And when we don't, Something is vitally missing. We bear his imprint. Back to the rhythms. Day seven. Day six ends. The sun sets, and people uh, see their first sunset. And then day seven begins, and how is it described? On the seventh day, God finished his work. So he's still working. He's finishing his work. He's finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. What, does, what day does God finish his work on? It's not day six. It's actually day seven. He finishes his work on day seven by doing what? Delighting in it. By stepping back and saying, Oh, yes. Yes. That is so good. I love that. And he rests. Not because he's tired. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't grow weary, right? He rests because he's delighting. This word rest is Sabbath. That's where we get the term Sabbath day, right? And Sabbath means to cease, to stop. But there's another Hebrew term for rest called Menuhah, and menuhah uh, is not just stopping. It is not just ceasing. Menuhah is about delight. It's rest, but it's tranquility and serenity and peace and delight. And it's like God creates everything. He works, and then he steps back, and he delights in it. Menuhah and Sabbath. His work wasn't completed until he delighted in it. Now, we often tell the creation story, and I've done this, and I think I've done this here on a Sunday morning. We tell the creation story as if it reaches its pinnacle on day six with the creation of humankind. We like to make ourselves the center of the story. But if you read it through like that, day seven is the pinnacle, right? Delight is the pinnacle of creation. God enjoys what he's just created. He takes day seven to cease from work and enjoy, not because he's tired, but because he just wants to delight. So, God has given them marching orders. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Take charge. Work the land. Be stewards. And here's the question, on what day are they created? Day six, right? So, what day is their first full day? Day seven and it's a day of rest. Now he gave them orders. He gave them marching orders. He says, "I have work for you to do." And you can imagine them being like, "All right, let's get at it. Nope, it's evening. It's a time of rest. And the sun rises on day seven, and they're like, "All right, let's get at it." And he's like, "Nope, it's a day of rest. I'm just going to soak this in for a while. Enjoy this. And God switches the order. Because we often think about the work-rest relationship as in work, 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 and then earn rest, right? And God switches it, and he says, I want you to live where you rest into your work. Your work is going to come. I want you to rest. And I want, you, I want that to move you into your work. And you can see that pattern set up here in the creation account. God clearly establishes a rhythm of resting into work not working to earn rest, and this changes everything. Instead of working to fill a void, let God fill you. Instead of working until you fall down exhausted, flip the rhythm so that rest leads into work. Rest, in this sense, isn't just unplugging. It's actually plugging into the source so that you can be charged up. And it's a command that God gives us for our good. It shows up in the Ten Commandments. Right next, right next to, like, do not murder and do not commit adultery is honor the Sabbath day. Like, rest. I want you to rest. I want you to delight. I want you to stop working. To forsake rest is to forsake the image of God in us. Just as we're commanded to not murder or commit adultery because they violate the image of God in us and others. When we don't rest, we're missing something vital in how we were created. How would your life change if you had rhythms of rest and work? Of the feeling of the gift of Sabbath and menuha, rest and delight. To know that God delights in you. So I want to throw up some questions, some rest questions. And I want you to ask these of yourself, maybe throughout this week. What do you delight in? What do you enjoy? What fills you up? Now, we've got lots of stuff that we enjoy that doesn't actually fill us up, right? They fill voids that don't last. What actually fills you up? How do you walk with God in the garden? It's this beautiful picture in Genesis 3 that shows up. God shows up and they had this practice of walking with God in the cool of the day and he shows up and they hide. But they had this as a pattern. That's why God uh, brings attention to them not doing it. So how do you walk with God? Do life with God? What does that look like for you? Are you spending time reading the Bible, not simply to check the box, but to hear from God? Are you spending time in prayer? Again, not just because you should, but because it's a growing delight for you. What do you need to stop doing so that you can rest? Because we're limited. If all we do is work, 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 we'll never rest. You might need to stop some things so that you can. And then this changes work. When we rest as God intends and we rest into work, it changes the nature of our work. Life isn't all about rest, right? It isn't all about... Uh, just recharging. We're supposed to spend energy. God gives us work to do. He created us for work. But work is altogether different when we understand that it's meant to flow out of rest. We work out of rest. John 15 talks about us being branches on a vine. As we stay connected to Jesus, we grow and we produce fruit. We were made to produce fruit. But this isn't a striving kind of work, just trying to pop fruit out and then feeling guilty when we haven't. Our primary job is what? Stay connected to the source, right? And as we stay connected, we produce fruit. Disconnect from God in all of our efforts produce nothing. Look, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 tells us, whatever you do, work heartily. Other translations would say, work with all of your heart, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He says, work, give your best, but not ultimately to please people and not ultimately even to please God, but because God has entrusted you with it. Work heartily, work with all your heart. So here are some work questions then if we see rest as a gift from God that propels us into work, that uh, fundamentally changed the way we look at work. Here are some questions. What work has God entrusted you with? Sometimes work is people, right? Sometimes work is relationships. What relationships has he entrusted you with? Are you giving your best to the work that God has given you? What is something that you can do to work with all your heart? Recognize the rhythm. God invites you to rest and delight. He calls you to work. Look to establish rhythms in your life between rest and work. Daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, even monthly or annual rhythms. when we see it this way, I really think it becomes a gift. That rest is given to us and delight is given to us. And we soak in what God has given and we enjoy it. And we use that to go into what God has entrusted us with. We rest into work. And I really wholeheartedly believe that this is a discipline that can lead to greater freedom. Let's pray, God. I thank you for the way that you made us. I thank you for your creation order and the way that even in the middle of it, you're working and resting, not out of a sense of uh, obligation or trying to prove yourself, and not out of getting tired and worn out, but. Delight over and over and over that you would produce and then step back and enjoy. That you made us to follow you in that. That you created us to delight in what you've given and what you've offered. And that you've entrusted us with a work that is not striving, but a work that we give ourselves to. And I pray as we look at these, as we begin to practice rest in our lives that we'd experience a feeling by you that would make us sharper in what you've entrusted to us right now as we turn to communion we just say thank you we thank you that Jesus you took up the cross that that was your work that you came and you poured yourself out for us not just out of a sense of obligation, but because you were entrusted with that and you loved us and you gave yourself. May we be reminded of your work. We enter into your rest and work as good stewards of what you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.